7: Streaming and
0: 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website,
7: solidaritybreakfast.org.au.
4: Solidarity forever!
2: Good morning everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast and it's the end of the summer season. This is live. So howdy doody. Uh, Today we're going to uh, get uh, an update from the picket against the Israeli-owned Zim ship. It was uh, running last night, 4pm to 10pm. And uh, Ines winters our intrepid reporter from the thursday breakfast has put in a report uh the picket is ongoing at Webb doc in port melbourne and community support is requested but we'll hear from uh inez's uh report uh first up in the program we're going to hear from cam walker friends of the earth plan for a climate ready victoria this is uh preparing us uh, for the uh a May, uh, Victorian May budget. Uh, they're uh, putting on their big uh, p- a person boots and they're warning us all about what needs to be done to keep Victoria climate ready. Um, we're going to talk to uh, Greta Carroll or I did talk to Greta Carroll. She's from the Great Ocean Rescue Tour which has been running from January the 5th to the 27th. It's uh, running along all the uh, uh, at southwest coast uh in uh raising the awareness of everybody about the uh um, seismic testing um, permit that's being asked for by two multinationals uh, to do seismic testing right across the Otway Basin. Now, of course, Australia is supposed to be moving away from fossil fuel, but uh, the destruction of the ocean environment just seems to be going one step too far. Anyway, we're going to hear from Greta to find out what's, what's at stake, and uh the uh, last stages of the uh, rescue tour, the Great Ocean Rescue Tour, which is ending up in Warnable and Port over the next weekend and the following one. So we'll hear more about that. We're going to talk to Sinead Sabah, who is a filmmaker. She made an extraordinary film called Luka Nagra, The Law of the Land. Uh, It came out uh, last year and it really is a revelation. If you want to know more about... Uh, Indigenous First Nations points of view about country and uh, where we fit in into that. If you're not Indigenous, then it's a film you really need to see. And on Survival Day, and they call it Survival Day, it's going to be available for you for free. And there are a whole lot of other things that are Uh, around the concept of truth-telling together, which uh, they're working towards. So we're going to talk to Zinim about that. Uh, We're also going to talk to Don Sutherland. Don Sutherland's going to join us and he's going to have a little bit of a yarn about the cost of living. But from the workers' person's point of view, rather than, of course, the views of everybody other than the majority, <laughs> which we've mostly been hearing about. But before we get on to the show, some important news.
5: No more whispering in our arms Gonna rise up to break these chains And stop these killing games
0: Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne invites you to join us on Saturday the 17th of February at midday at the State Library, Swanson Street, Melbourne to mark the 20th anniversary of the death in custody of Redfern teenager TJ Hickey. Honour the memory of TJ and the many deaths in custody families that now number more than 555 since the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. No one to date has been held responsible for these deaths. We demand end the practice of police investigating police and immediate implementation of all 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Come along Saturday 17th of February, midday at the State Library. Ischer Melbourne is
2: a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, we're going to go straight to the community picket, which is from four pm to ten pm. That's uh, Saturday the nineteenth of January. But uh, this um, it started last night, uh, and oh Friday nineteenth of January. It was yesterday. They did it all last night. It was all from uh, last night, and. Uh, Ines Winters, our intrepid reporter from Thursday Breakfast was there and this is what she uh, passed on to us about what's going on. Here we go. I
6: appreciate you all making the time to be here. Um, We're trying to hold the picket line and we're trying to stop workers coming in. The MUA says that they won't cross the picket line for health and safety reasons, um, just to maintain the health and safety of the community, but also the workers. Um, thanks so much for coming. We don't want any Zim ships in our dock. We don't want any Israeli ships in Melbourne port. We don't want the government support of this genocide. We don't support this genocide. Um, and we're gonna, be, we're gonna keep coming here and we're gonna keep blocking these ships. We're gonna make them lose lots of money and hopefully end the occupation of Israel and free Palestine. So um, I'm just going to go with some chants. Free, Free, free Palestine. Free, free Palestine. Free, free Palestine. Free, free Palestine.
8: Free, free Palestine. Free, free Palestine.
9: My friends, girl, you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we're not going to stop the Palestine is free But still you know that I'm a rider till the end Even if I got the pushback But my friends, girl, you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we're not going to stop the Palestine is free Hard to not look, to be blind, to not care. Tell me what real. Borderline, military despair. How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear? And if you take away your
2: home, where's the house supposed to live? to to be blind, hard to not care. Tell me what real. Borderline, military despair. How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear? And if you take away your home, where's the heart supposed to live?
6: So we're picketing um, worker entrances to
3: Web Dock. Um, there's a Zim ship that's going to dock. And, um, we don't want workers to unload that ship. Yep. Um, and the MUA have said they won't cross our picket line. There has been a couple of workers that have attempted to drive up and they haven't sort of
6: listened to them. We've said, um, go home. You know, yep. Your union said, go home.
3: <laughs> um, apparently they were going to try and walk through. But potentially Jasmine has just sent them home. Did you turn them around.
6: A Maritime Union t-shirt oh. and I just said look I'm in a union too mate like it's not yeah. a, it's not against you it's against the company. Yes, <laughs> well done, <laughs> good work Jess. Free, free
5: Palestine. Free, free Palestine. Free, free, free Palestine. Free, free, free Palestine. Zim shipping you can't hide. Zim shipping you can't hide. Zim shipping you can't hide
8: you We charge you with genocide. We charge
10: you with genocide. We charge you with genocide. We charge you with genocide. We you with genocide. So good. Yeah, we've got well and truly enough people to take that formation one deep across both gates. So um, that's the formation that we're going to we're going to use um if we have any workers trying to enter on that. Is that clear Yep. so it might be worth just getting into that formation now actually
1: um, and they're going to relay some of the discussion that we just had here after that after that
10: um, happens they're going to come back here and we're going to have a we're having a discussion about what strategy we're going to take for the for the next couple of hours the rest of the evening um, within the next i hope 20 minutes where we to have, have a proper briefing start making a plan um after a consensus is reached between picket captains. the uh, about how we're going to handle the rest of the evening. Um, is that clear? Are there any questions? Is there pizza on the way? There's pizza on the way. <laughs> this is precisely what a community picket looks like. So very fucking well done to start.
8: Woo-hoo!
10: The key problem we're going to face obviously at some level is police tactics to try and basically break up our very successful day so far. The police are currently encouraging that in about 20 minutes time they'll try and start to give a move on order and obviously that's the kind of intention that they will have and they want us to peacefully go away and that's the end. When the police move on order comes, if they don't have enough numbers to basically enforce said move on, i.e. like mass arrests and all kind of punitive violence, we do think that we are confident enough to be able to actually hold this and defy the move on order. We're not asking that of individuals if they don't want to. If you and yourself know that I don't want to be arrested today, I don't want to have any kind of violence done unto me, no one here will basically like uh, get angry if that's what you decide. We do think we have strength in numbers. We can get people from other locations to come here. We can hold the community picket whether or not the pigs want to move us on. I am a strong believer of that and that belief is shared loosely between a lot of the people in the organizing kind of group. You'll just have to decide when the move-on order comes, what do I do? If you want to stand firm, if you want to maybe wait at the back, if you're like, I don't want to be at the front, that's totally fine. But when port or like any kind of like riot squad comes, then we'll reassess this situation. The riot squad will obviously be better equipped, more able to deal with this. And as we saw last Tuesday, when we were right here, we got pepper sprayed right where we're actually standing now. And we obviously don't want that a repeat of that. so it's up to you really we're doing a good job the other entrances are still holding them the workers are loosely idling around yeah there's a couple in but not enough to operate all of victorian international container terminal zim ganges is in the kind of like heads at the moment so about two and a little bit hours maybe it's going to try and actually come on to the end of web number five with no operators there'll be no one to tie that ship to the actual physical infrastructure of web doc no workers in their ship can't come in. We will delay them. And this company that's complicit in the genocide of Palestinians will be getting a giant big fuck you from all of us.
8: Uh, I
9: just wanted to say that one of the strategies that the poor authorities have and the bosses is that they'll let us stay for, you know, a little bit and then the workers will come work a later shift. So that if that happens and we're moved on, that means we've achieved very little because they're still able to work this ship and then everything goes back to normal business as usual. They'll be able to to load the ship and achieve what they want in terms of their commercial interests. So at this point, it's really important that we continue to disrupt their work shift. Their shift started at 6 p.m. and it's only still around 7 something, right? So... For them, it's not a big delay, it's only an hour, and these workers are getting paid. There
8: is only one solution. It's a final revolution. There is only one solution. It's a final revolution. There is only one solution. It's a final revolution. Gaza, Gaza,
5: you will rise. Gaza, Gaza, 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 you will rise. Not enough, no not enough justice. 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 He's not enough justice. Not enough justice. to the sea. will be free. From the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> <laughs>
10: Matters, and if we let more trucks
5: through, there'll be no one to work those trucks. The port will stay shut down. <laughs> the police are going
2: to stand down.
5: The police are going to stand down. I've had a very clear advice from uh, from the commander in charge. The police are going to make space for us to retake our position, and we'll continue to hold the picket
8: if we we'll let the trucks through. So
5: my view is we let the trucks pass, but we stay where we are and we stay strong, and the police need to stand down and make that possible. Right now, it's the police who stop the truck.
8: But not us, it's the cops.
5: It's police action that did this, and they need to stand down so we can go back to how we were. we here until whatever day. This
8: ship was
5: meant to be in port on Tuesday. Then it was meant to be in port this morning. Then yes. it was meant to be in port right now. Well it's meant to be in port sometime or rather tomorrow. We will be free, free, free Palestine, free, free, free Palestine, free, free Palestine, free, free free,
2: Palestine. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we were down at the uh, community picket which was being held down at Web Dock to uh, s- stop the Israeli-owned Zim ship that is complicit in aiding the ongoing genocide of Palestinians. The picket is ongoing at WebDoc in Port Melbourne and community support is requested. That report was from Ines Winters. She's the uh, Thursday breakfaster at 3CR and uh, she was on the spot. So go down there and help out and if you can't, go do this or do both. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday.
6: With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people.
0: Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack.
6: We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library this Sunday.
0: Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza.
6: Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
7: listening
2: to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we've got Cam Walker on the line from Friends of the Earth. G'day, Cam. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Annie.
2: Yeah. Um, and uh, I was fascinating to read uh, Friends of the Earth's plan for a uh, climate-ready Victoria leading up to the... Uh, victorian budget which is in may i mean you're you're doing a running jump it's important stuff and uh, i noticed that uh, you quote that jacinta allen the new premier who has said that she is aware that climate change has resulted in more frequent flooding and extreme weather underscoring the need to transition to renewable energy so uh, perhaps your plan is uh, on her desk right at the moment
1: yes we hope so (laughs)
2: All right, so there's uh, different uh, parts of your plan. Uh, One of them is the uh, uh, effective bus arrangements in the West. Why is that important?
1: We know that many communities on the fringe of Melbourne that are growing quite rapidly and are driven basically by the developers are really terrible in terms of access to public amenities, open space, public transport, that sort of thing, and that's what happens when we let private developers set the nature of development in our cities. Um, And anyone that particularly lives in the west, the outer west or the outer north, knows that public transport can be terrible. Uh, It's not reliable and it's just not really practical for people in many aspects of their day-to-day lives. So, yeah, we're just saying buses are a really important thing to invest in. We're saying we need electric buses, so we need to transition rapidly off the old diesel buses and we need an accessible, what we call a turn-up-and-go bus network in the west. Uh, so uh, that would include also a rerouting of the, of the routes so they're much more direct and travel on the arterial roads because at present a lot of the bus networks, you know, weave around the suburbs and they're not practical for commuting. So we're saying, you know, a, a turn-up-and-go system every 10 minutes, 6am to midnight, at least five days a week to seven days a week uh, to allow people to do their daily shopping, their, you know taking the kids to school, going to work in a way that's going to be viable for them.
2: Yeah, fast, frequent and connected buses. Now, this is part of your Sustainable Cities Collective and uh, it's uh, important, in a sense, for uh, effective uh, and sustainable living for people all over the city, not just part of the city.
1: Exactly, yeah. We all need access to affordable, accessible and safe public transport. And it shouldn't just be if you're lucky enough to live on a train line or a tram line. You know, everyone deserves that sort of kind of access. Um, and buses are a relatively cheap way to do it. So it's hard after the fact to retrofit in a light rail network where there wasn't one before because you've got to, you know, access the land and do all that. Buses are a very cheap way to improve your public transport. And you can do it in a short period of time. It might take you several years to put in a light rail or a heavy rail link. Uh, but buses you can pretty much do straight away.
2: It's interesting because uh, you had forums in uh, 2022 and none of the Labor uh, people turned up to any of them
1: That's right, yes we were very disappointed by the lack of buy-in from ALP uh, in the build-up to the election.
2: And that actually came out in the wash, didn't it because there's been a downturn in support out in the West for the Labor Party.
1: Yes there has and I think that you know, there's there's multiple factors at play here. Of course in the outer burbs most people need to travel and have multiple cars within families to be able to get to work and, and, and do life and go to school and that sort of thing. So cost of lever, cost of living pressures are really huge and um, this is a government that has done a lot of transformative work. You know, the Metro Tunnel and, you know, they're ending native forests logging in the east and they're phasing out coal. There's lots of great stuff that's happening, but they really run the risk of not looking after those emerging communities on the suburban fringes. And if they don't look after them, then, of course, people will look elsewhere in terms of where they're putting their vote.
2: And before we leave that issue, there's a couple of other things. Um, there was a report which hasn't... Uh, uh which actually supports a lot of the things you say, your group says, but uh, hasn't uh, uh, shown any government interest. Uh, and also a majority, they're saying, oh, nothing can be done, but the majority of those uh, uh, the contracts go to one single international company, right?
1: Yes, that's my understanding.
2: Yeah, which is actually a very important key issue.
1: Yes, it is. And it's interesting that with the current state government, they have re-established the State Electricity Commission, which is saying government and the public should be involved in energy production. And I think that is great. But what we have is a system that, you know, back to the days of Jeff Kennett, they privatised everything they could basically, you know, pick up and sell. Couldn't
2: nail down.
1: Exactly. So so much of our public transport system is run by for-profit companies and often companies from overseas. So there's a deeper conversation here about how, as all the licences to run different parts of our public transport system come up, how do we bring them back? into the public running them again we shouldn't accept that privatisation and outsourcing is a one way street I think the establishment of the SEC demonstrates what is possible with a bit of government will and we need to see more of those contracts as they you know, come up for renewal let's look at uh, governments intervening and actually running our public transport systems again.
2: And what you're saying is that that's a key issue for sustainability
1: Yes, we, we believe so because if you're Running essential infrastructure, be it water or electricity or public transport, and you're running it simply from a for-profit basis, which is what private companies do, it's never going to deliver fully for what the community needs or what the environment needs. So there is a environmental argument to bring services back into government and or public control.
2: Now, because uh, you're targeting the um, allocations funding from the budget coming up in May, uh, you've got some really practical uh, issues regarding uh, native forests and uh, fire, fire protection, haven't you?
1: Yes, I think we do. And we're very mindful that there's not a lot of money in the state budget. And so, you know, there's no point asking for $100 million for something. So we've tried to suggest things that are are relatively cheap and deliver a good outcome. So hence the the buses, rather than saying build more train tracks. Uh, With fire, we think that um, it's clear that climate change is making our fire seasons longer and more intense. And um, it's very good that the government has invested heavily in career firefighters through the, the state firefighting agency, which is called Forest Fire Management Victoria. But we rely very heavily on volunteers. And if you live in Melbourne, you can't actually sign up as a volunteer firefighter because you need to live very close to a station. So the absolute majority of people in Victoria and the absolute majority in Melbourne cannot become volunteer firefighters. But we reckon that lots of people would chip in if they could, So we're proposing a new system where there would be a volunteer remote area firefighting team that would set up uh, within the CFA at a very low cost and we're estimating you could actually set it up and get it running a pilot program for about $200,000 which is absolutely nothing when you think of a state budget but make it accessible to people who live you know in Fitzroy or Elwood or and they can assist firefighting efforts because we know we are losing volunteer firefighters and we do know that many brigades in the country are getting older and struggling to find new members and we also know that fire seasons are getting worse and longer and that puts continued strain on the existing volunteers we have. So we're saying set up this team, put it in the CFA, make it accessible to city-based people and it means that people in the city get to share some of that burden if they want to, uh, but it benefits all of Victoria if we did it that way.
2: Yeah, It's fascinating because uh, your figures are pretty frightening, actually. The CFA has lost around 2,000 volunteers over two years, and it appears that around uh, 10,000 volunteer firefighters quit the uh, rural file service in Queensland. So I mean, you know, that's the Queensland experience, but we're talking about Australia-wide. I mean, Victoria in particularly, but this is an Australia-wide issue.
1: Yes, it is. And the other thing I'd just note is that this proposal for a volunteer remote area firefighting team, New South Wales, Queensland and the ACT already have these crews. Victoria doesn't. it's kind of strange that we don't because it's a very cheap way to bring extra people into fighting fires. But what we're proposing is different to what anyone else has done before, where we're saying focus specifically on people in urban areas. So we reckon it would just open up a whole bunch of volunteers who are going to be often young and fit and diverse, you know, and we need those people, frankly, in the in the CFA. Uh, bring them in and allow them to be involved and you could train them and deploy them in a way that would make a lot of sense. So if you have summer holidays, you say, I'm available for three weeks in January and then you could just be deployed in if there was a need in terms of what they call the big fires, the campaign fires.
2: And if- you stay in the forests. Uh, you've got a plan for uh, what should happen now that uh, logging native forests has been um, stopped in Victoria?
1: Well, we don't exactly have a plan because we're saying now is the moment for the conservation movement to listen deeply to First Nations people. Uh, We have 1.8 million hectares of forestry land in the east of the state that has been subject to logging for many years. That has now stopped, which is absolutely amazing. The government needs to suggest a process for how we decide what next with those forests. They haven't announced that process as yet. But what of the Earth is saying is let's just take a deep breath. Let's engage with First Nations people who have an interest in that forest country, you know, where it's their traditional uh, country, and listen to what they're saying. And this is a moment where, you know, the conservation movement opens its meetings and has done for years by acknowledging country. This is the moment where we get to demonstrate that 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 solidarity is real. We need to listen we need to reflect and we need to take direction from First Nation groups with an interest in the forest country.
2: And, uh, of course, that means employment for Indigenous people too.
1: Yes, indeed. And there's going to be such a lot of work to do because we know native forest logging has been disastrous for biodiversity. We know we have well over 100,000 hectares of alpine ash forests which is on the the cusp of collapse. If they get one more fire through those forests, we will lose more than 100,000 hectares of forest. That is completely collapsed and become just a, a grassy wasteland, possibly with some wattle trees in it. There's so much restoration work we need to do, and it's really essential that First Nations people traditional owner groups are adequately resourced to be involved in healing the country in the way that we need to do. We need to bring the best ecological science into that mix but we also need to trust and work with First Nations people and ensure that they are decision makers in that process, not just considered another stakeholder.
2: Uh, just remind your listeners, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we're having a chat with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth and we're talking about uh, Friends of the Earth's Uh, suggestions for a uh, climate-safe Victoria and uh, these are suggestions for the Victorian budget coming up in May. Um, We're now talking about a Victorian Community Climate Adaption Fund and I I was particularly interested in this because it's about community-led solutions but it's also about how uh, Victoria is not just the cities, uh, they're rural areas as well.
1: Yes, exactly. And we are getting what they call compound disasters now. So we had those big floods in Northern Vic in 2022, and now we've just had another bunch of flooding. Earlier in the summer, they had those big fires in Gippsland that was followed pretty much straight away by flooding. So we're seeing... Under climate change, under global warming, the gap between natural disasters shrinking. And so you get these compound effects. And, you know, you can have one flood and your house gets flooded and you recover and you get on with your life. But what happens when 10 months later you get the same flood again or, you know, you get another fire? So we need to accept we are in a different point in history. Climate change is no longer something that might happen in the future somewhere else it's happening to us now that drives the need for us to take action to mitigate that is reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and Victoria needs to continue to do that but we need to directly grapple with the fact that Many of our communities are being impacted by climate change right now, and we need to understand that people in communities often know best, and there's often great knowledge and great skills and great networking capacity in communities, so we need to empower them to be able to be in charge of how they prepare for their disasters, how they respond to these disasters, and how they recover afterwards.
2: And uh, then you go to a really practical thing, which is the gas substitution and home electrification system. You say it's been lagging a bit.
1: It it has. I mean, they are moving forward. And it's interesting that the Liberals have come out and uh, arguing, you know, oh, no, we need more gas. And that's an argument from the 1990s. We don't need gas. Maybe they've got shares.
2: Maybe they've got shares in some company.
1: I don't know what's going on, but they're backing (laughs) the wrong horse. Um, They're attaching it to a bit of a culture war kind of frame. Uh. But the fact is, we get most of our gas from Bass Strait. Bass Strait gas reserves are declining very rapidly. And we all know that when something becomes rarer, the cost can only go in one direction, which is up. So if we're going to hang on to gas, we're just locking ourselves into steeper costs. And so the cost of living will continue to go up. We know, however, you can run homes very easily on 100% electric. Uh, that's heating and cooling and the hot water systems and cooking. Um, and the government is moving in that direction. And they do have this gas substitution roadmap. And we're just saying, keep going, you know, keep going faster. Keep helping people uh, to switch what they call fuel switching away from gas uh, and into home electrification. Um, Give funds to allow people to do that, have an energy upgrade program and really important that no one is left behind. So invest in retrofitting public housing to replace gas appliances, you know, gas heated hot water system and gas stovetops uh, to reduce costs for people who are living on very limited income.
2: Now, Cam, you uh, want people, listeners, to go and have a look and if they actually agree to send a letter in of support.
1: Yes, that would be great. If you just do a web search, the frenzy- earth Um, proposal for Climate Ready Victoria, you'll find um, our main page very easily. You'll find the full budget submission if you're interested in the details and you'll find a letter which will go to the Premier saying, hey, here are some ideas. I would love it if you would fund this. And of course, it's set up as a letter that you can edit. So if there's things that you're interested in, add them as well and uh, send it to the Premier.
2: Thank you very much for talking to us this morning, Cam.
1: Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks. Thanks. uh, And good to have a chat.
2: And that was Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. And as he said, it's all about Victoria being climate ready.
6: Hi, I'm Ahmed from Fitzroy Primary School. And you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR.
2: Listening to Ruby Hunter. Uh, I've been waiting. And uh, we're going to now listen into a chat I had with Greta Carroll. She's from the uh, Great Ocean Rescue Tour, who which have been which has been running along the uh, southwest coast of Victoria uh, from January the 5th to the 27th. And it's about stopping seismic blasting, making people aware that uh, in actual fact Uh, it's uh, against all uh, environmental uh, standards to be uh, putting uh, sonic booms into the great Southern Ocean in this way, this reckless, reckless way. Thanks very much for having a chat with me, Greta. You're from Ocean, which is a coalition of environmental organisations that's been working to raise people's awareness of... uh, this proposed seismic blasting in uh, the Southern Ocean along the Otway uh, Rim. And I was wondering, can you give my listeners some understanding of what uh, what's at stake here?
3: Yeah, absolutely, thanks so much for having me on. So yes, I'm from Ocean, the Otway Coastal Environmental Action Network, and we are currently campaigning, trying to raise awareness about a proposed seismic blasting Um, Permit that uh, is in at the moment with Nopsema. Uh, So it's an area two companies, TSG and Schlumberger, so two international data companies, have put in a proposal to 3D seismic blast an area that's 4.5 million hectares in the Otway Basin, Um, and that area passes through two marine parks, whale migration routes, the Bonnie Upwell. So that is a huge nutrient upwelling that fuels the marine food web, um, and as well as on our really beautiful and very ecologically important Great Southern Reef.
2: That's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, and especially when you consider that there's the backdrop is that uh, Australia is supposed to be, and the world is supposed to be moving away from uh, fossil fuel. And this is just a, a, a complete uh, attack on nature.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So seismic blasting, looking for oil and gas reserves under the sea floor, is the first step in new oil and gas exploration. And as you said, the science says we can't have new oil and gas if we're to stay below 1.5 degrees of warming. We can't be looking for more opportunities. To extract oil and gas from from the earth, so we're all saying no. Communities along the Otway Coast, all down the Western Tasmanian Coast, as well, are standing up and using their voices to say no. So that's it's very inspiring.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting too because it's as you said, Ocean is a coalition of environmental organisations as well as First Nations groups.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we there's there's many groups who are, are part of this campaign. So there's Surfrider Foundation Australia, there's Friends of the Earth, there's the Australian Marine Conservation Society and Port Fairy Fight for the Bite, as well as Patagonia. Um, and then also SOPEC, so the Southern Ocean Protection I- in Embassy Collective, which is a Gunditschmong Mall um, ocean protection group. Um, and they're very loud and very prominent in this campaign.
2: Yeah, uh, I was looking at uh, even the words Kuntapul, uh, which is whale songlines.
3: Mm. Yeah, we're really lucky. We have uh, Yaren Cousins Bundle, who's a Gunditjmara woman. She's also a whale dreaming custodian and leads SOPEC. Um, she's been sharing Kuntabal, the who's the female southern right whale, um, sharing parts of the Kuntabal song songline through this process, uh, sorry, through this protest. And that's been a really special addition and um, voice in this campaign.
2: Now, you've uh, been um, running uh, in uh, information sessions as well as other uh, um, information-raising uh, I- events right across the communities. Uh, and, in fact, there's going to be a major event uh tomorrow in Warrnambool I mean there's today in Port Ferry and uh, tomorrow in Warnable, and then going on to Portland on the 27th but can you give us an idea of the reactions do people know about what's going on?
3: Mm, yeah so we are in the middle of our Great Ocean Rescue a campaign which stretches across January with events that started at the beginning of January in Heads and has moved along west the western coast of Victoria, out to Portland. And, no, for the most part, communities don't know what seismic blasting is, and that's part of our work, is raising awareness. And it's also not their fault. You know, a lot of politicians, people in Canberra, when Ocean have travelled to Canberra to talk about seismic blasting, a lot of our politicians don't know what seismic blasting is, what the practice entails, and what the risks are. marine safety and and our marine life so that's pretty scary um but when people do know what seismic blasting is they're very everyone's been supportive of this campaign no one wants this campaign no one wins coastal people don't win fisher people don't win the only people who win if this is approved are the two multinational information or data companies um so we've had screening. So we're screening a film that was put together by Surf Rider Foundation called Southern Blast, which is a great, um, informative and very beautifully shot film. And then we've had rallies as well in Ocean Grove and Apollo Bay last weekend. And tomorrow, as you said, in Warrnambool, we have a big paddle out, which is going to be so much fun. Um, we are meeting at the breakwater around 1.30. There'll be live music. And local band Southern Ocean Sea Band will be playing, which will be a lot of fun. We've got some speeches kicking off at two, and we'll start our paddle out at two thirty.
2: Yeah, um, the uh, it, it's really quite disturbing that uh, so few people know about how intrusive this could be. I mean, we've been seeing uh, whales uh, becoming dislocated, not knowing where to go, and then ending up on uh, and beaching and dying effectively. Um, and uh, people have been saying, oh, they don't know why this would be so, but that's mm. being a bit ingenuous, isn't it?
3: Mm. Disingenuous. Yeah, so while seismic blasting as a practice has been happening for decades off our horizons where we can't see it, the research is relatively new, and the research has only come about because fisheries were reporting huge losses in their catches or whole scallop beds dying following seismic blasting events and researchers, marine researchers then began looking at the impacts of seismic blasting and as you said it does deafen whales um, and there are 25 different whale species that move through this particular um, application zone that they're looking to blast in the Otway Basin but it also kills krill and as far as the research has shown it creates a hole in the biomass up to 1.2 kilometres around every single blast. Um, and the only reason it's 1.2 kilometres is because that's as far as they looked. We don't actually know the extent of that hole in the biomass. Um, we just know that as far as researchers looked, every single krill was dead.
2: Oh my goodness.
3: Um, so we have some research that on some other species, particularly commercial fishing species. But I think it's safe to assume that if the foundation of the marine food web, our krill and our plankton, as well as the largest mammals that have ever existed on Earth, our our blue whales are being affected by the practice that all species along that food chain are are affected.
2: Now, the coastline that you've been having your events at uh, Mm are prime Uh, holiday resorts now Mm. uh, um, there's this sort of weird uh, dislocation between the main cities and the hinterlands Uh, Mm. but because it's summer and because these are key locations for people to take uh, summer retreats you must have been getting quite a lot of reaction to your campaign
3: yeah all positive thankfully but I think that's part of the way in which we're campaigning it's not angry and it's not violent Um, it's very informative it's very welcoming Um, but it has also been very special to say to people who are sitting in cafes say thank you for coming to our home enjoying our coastline and would you join us in protecting it because we love it too just as much as you do during your holidays and we've had people stand up in the cafes and applaud or take information slips and then come and join the film screening that night some people leave their cafes and join us for the walk down the main street. It's been very inspiring.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, it's, v- it's pretty important stuff. Um, what has reaction from uh, government levels, federal, state and local?
3: Yeah, so we are lucky that we've had local councillors joining. We have um, some Greens members travelling down from Melbourne for the Paddle Art tomorrow, which is great. We... The, the decision is in the hands of the Resource Minister, Madeline Kim, So we are writing to her office, members of the community are writing to her office through our campaign, um, and we haven't had a response
2: yet. Yeah, it's a bit disturbing because we've had um, quite um, disturbing uh, acceptance of seismic blasting in Western Australia at the um, Borough Hub. And mm-hmm. we've just had uh, a rather disappointing, um, uh, not quite the same thing, but the co- the uh, the gas pipeline, Santos yeah. pipeline decision against the yeah. Tiwi Islanders. And we've also in sort of in the background, we've got New South Wales um, deciding that it's all okay to uh, chop down native forests. Uh, yeah. There's a battle on, isn't there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is really important to recognise the practices that are still going ahead in the Barak Peninsula and also the most recent decision to approve the Santos Pipeline through uh, the Tiwi Islands, because what's happening in those parts of the ocean is also... It's all one ocean, you know. And as we stand up for coastal communities, as coastal communities down here, for our Great Southern Reef. It is really important that we're also standing in solidarity um, on the other front line. Um, And it is becoming more difficult for environmental activists. We've had change in laws. There's recent um, changes in protocol in in the logging in Tasmania where machinery doesn't have to be switched off if civilians are on site or if um, both activists are on site. So there's people's lives that are becoming at greater risk We have won in the past, we won in the fight for the bike campaign and I think what's telling is that this application permit stops almost immediately at the South Australian border and I think all companies know um, that we really care about that area and so this is our opportunity to unite and show that we also care about this part of our ocean too.
2: Mm, yeah, there's a wor- there's a world to be won, isn't there? And uh, y- you can't not fight. It ha- you have to fight. Uh, the um, what do you want pe- my listeners to do to be um, helpful in a positive outcome?
3: Oh, thanks for that question. So if you are in the area, um, come on down to our paddle out in Warrnambool. It's going to be huge. It's going to be a lot of fun. Paddle outs always are such a beautiful way to unite in the ocean whilst we stand up for the ocean. Um, you can head to our website, so ocean, um, and you can take action there. We have a link to um, a survey. You can send a letter to your Member of Parliament through Surfrider Foundation, there's a link to that too. We have the Citizens Protection Declaration, which is um, led by SOPEC, so it's an indigenous voice for caring for sea country. (laughs) Um, And then we also have petitions around abolishing what's called the SPA, which is the Special Prospecting Authority, which is the kind of permit that uh, these two companies, um, TGS and Schlumberger, have applied for. So that's outside the portfolio that the Minister for Resources um, announces at the beginning of each year. This is a different kind of permit.
2: Okay. All right. Thank you very much for talking to us, Greta.
3: Not a problem. Thanks so much for having us on.
2: And that was Greta Carroll. She's from Ocean, uh, and uh, they're part of the Great Ocean Rescue Tour. Uh, you can find out all the stuff you need to on Ocean's website. Uh, that, but the 21st of January, that's tomorrow, Uh Warrnambool massive beach rally and paddle out. That's one thirty at the breakwater, and there's going to be screenings and music in the evening at Mozart Hall at Gilly Street. And uh, on they will go to Portland uh, the 27th of January. Uh, as I said, there's a, a world to be won.
1: Don't know what to do with the kid's in January? Well, have I got news for you. 3CR is doing a live broadcast of the Tunaminaway and Bohina commemoration at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne. It's the 17th year of the commemoration for the public execution of Tanaminawe and Moobohina, two Indigenous freedom fighters who were hung on the 20th of January for resisting white colonisation. It's a great education experience for the children. It's a children-friendly event. Come along, and if you can't come along, listen in to the first hour on Community Radio 3CR, midday to 1pm, Saturday, the 20th of January.
2: with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we've got uh, Sinem Subban on the line. G'day Sinem, how are you?
7: Good morning, how are you Annie? Good,
2: and uh, it's great to talk to you again as a filmmaker of a brilliant film called Luka... I'd never say it correctly, how do you say it?
7: Lukunara.
2: Lukunara, and it's the law of the land. And uh, people are now going to be able to see it for free on Survival Day.
7: That's right, Annie. So, yeah, this coming 26th of January, um, we'll have it for free, for streaming online. So anyone just wants to pop onto the website, com, and then go through the checkout and then just type in free AUST, free A-U-S-T at the checkout and then it'll just unlock the free streaming. Um, we think it's an appropriate day to let people watch it for free. Um, yeah, so... <laughs>
2: Can you tell my listeners why it's so important that I'm talking to you today and why it's so important for people to see this film? Tell them about this film because it's just it's something that everybody should see.
7: Look, I think, Annie, well, thanks for the compliment. Um, I think, um, look, the reason why I made it is because I just feel like as a nation we get all of our information about Indigenous peoples is very compartmentalised um, you know, so, you know, if you're an environmentalist, you look at what they do with the land, or if you're into law, you'll only look at certain things about their, their law. But the film is actually trying to present that their world is holistic, and it's all governed by the law of the land. And it's a, it's law that's been given to, in this instance, Yomal people by the great spirit of the universe. So it's, it's a real insight into how they function as a society, um, and as, as and their worldview. And and in our approach to indigenous people, um, we we have to look at it as through their worldview. Because if we keep coming at it through our own worldview, i.e. the dominant colonial paradigm, we're always going to get our relationship wrong, and we're also going to create more chaos for them because we're continuously encroaching on them um, a way of being that is not in alignment with who they are, i.e., you know, governance, education, health. We're always projecting our own dominant way of doing things on their worldview, which is why we still have high suicide rates, the worst health outcomes in in the modern world. It's just glaringly obvious.
2: Oh, and environmental degradation because. And
7: environmental degradation. It's. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's actually so shocking. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it?
7: Yeah, and, and, and I think it's about us, you know, inadvertently, we're not also knowing that we are, but we are actually quite arrogant in the way that we um, think that we have all the solutions. And I hate to say, but like. You know, even with what happened last year with the referendum, it was a disaster because we we had we needed we need to truth tell, which comes to my whole other um, thing that we're launching next week is the truth telling campaign. Is we ha- if we are going to get things right in this country, we need to start telling the truth, and as confronting as that may be, it's it's a way of creating mutual respect. We don't have mutual respect between Indigenous and non Indigenous. We are not going to get meaningful political change because we are up against, you know, still quite a lot of racism in this country. And the only way that we can overcome the racism is actually to demystify their culture, demystify all of those stereotypes that people have and keep on repeating.
2: It's one of the things about the film, it makes a big point at one point where it goes um, law versus law, L-O-R-E versus L-A-W, and this is very important, isn't it?
7: Well, it's incredibly important because I think when we when we apply the L-O-R-E law to First Nations laws, then it automatically creates this mystical or mythical thing that's you know, almost magical and not real, but Dr Gondra is absolutely staunch that their law is an L-A-W it's an absolute governing system, System, and that's another thing that the film reveals, is that they have a parliamentary system, they have an election procedure, it's all there it's just that we're looking we're looking for their parliament house, as per se, but they don't have the building um, we're, we're as I, Again, we're, we're looking at it through colonial eyes. It's like with, you know, Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu, the agriculture and it was there. We were just looking for the plots of land with rows and rows of vegetables growing, you know, but the, they, were, they were growing food within their homeland, not in rows and rows of, you know, how we do it with irrigation and things like that
2: well, incredibly intrusive um, uh, uh, overlord sort of manner as opposed to uh, being part of the nuance of the land
7: Exactly, exactly so it's about being able to take our glasses off that have actually been placed on our own eyes through our own conditioning and our own education um, and and taking those off and actually seeing things the way they see them with a different world view and it's absolutely incredible and in, and and sophisticated and in, so beneficial to our own well-being and that's what I feel so honoured to have had you know the time with Dr Gondra so to see that it's actually about all humans it's not about just Indigenous peoples and what they do it's about what we also need to do
2: yeah, I know. I, that's why I, I stress that people really need to go out of their way to watch this film, because I was... Uh, I, I mean, it taught me so many things, and it's, it, and it's all very well to... It's like saying, I'm going to describe pink, or I'm going to describe the smell. Actually, you have to actually watch it to see... To, to feel the transformation, I'll have to say. Yeah, it's
7: jam, it's jam packed, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of
2: information in there. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Yeah. It's absolutely riveting, and it's not just you, like you said. You're uh, launching this uh, truthtellingtogether.com, dot com, but also you you want you're doing a fundraiser because you want 50 hours of the extra footage shot during the making of Luca Nagra into I know. yeah. I mean, this is really important, isn't it?
7: It is. I mean, so obviously when you're a filmmaker and you've got all these this footage, I've been filming him for, you know, over a decade and I had to cut it all down to 90 minutes. Um, I've got so much more footage that where he actually goes into more detail and it's just sitting on my hard drive and, you know, he's not going to be with us for a very long time and he really wants to see all of that out there um, on, on an education platform so people can can listen to him. And as you know, Annie, he is quite a profound human who has had experience within the church, you know, up against government. He's really well-rounded and grounded. He's not confronting, but he he has a capacity to really open people's hearts. Um, Yeah, he does. He doesn't work in a divisive way. He's not like, oh, I hate all you white people, you know. She's always inviting us in to come in. Yeah,
2: that's right. Um, And uh, that's why it's so great that people can get a chance to look at it. And I noticed you call it Survival Day. You don't call it Invasion Day, which is uh, an interesting nuance in itself.
7: Well, it is Invasion Day, but I think it's about how you, again, how you want to shed light on this. And I'm trying to... You know, make that day into a positive, like claiming that day rather than being this negative thing, actually reclaiming that day and go, well, okay, if we're going to do this, well, then we're going to educate people. Um, and it is about survival. They have survive. And hopefully they will scrap the date, you know, but um, I think scrapping the date is one thing we shouldn't get.
2: Yeah, I yeah, too sometimes. carried away. There's too many other things. There's a world know, to be one. There's, so there's a world
7: to be one. Yeah, I mean, okay, you scrapped the date, but then now what? You know, there's still a road to go, and it and it is about education. It's really about particularly the younger generation just making sure that they're not growing up with these really outrageous perspectives of our First Nations people.
2: Thanks for talking to us this morning.
7: welcome. Thank you for having me again on 3CR. I appreciate it, Annie. We show up
5: Take no more, black at the heart, take no more, chew in a Lord. take no
6: more. Tune in from 8.30 to 4 o'clock on Friday the 26th of January for our annual Invasion Day broadcast. Between 10 and midday, we'll be broadcasting live from the march in Melbourne, and throughout the day, 3CR's Blackfella broadcasters will be bringing you voices of the elders, truth-telling, critical yarns with grassroots activists, deadly black music, and honouring warriors past and present in the struggle for sovereignty, land back, an end to genocide, and a treaty. So keep it tuned in to 3CR on Friday, the 26th of January, from 8 30 to 4 o'clock.
5: Because the old ones have fought for it. We sing our songs. Our existence
6: is from the
5: resistance.
2: We
9: were swimming in the sea All my
5: friends and me Diving
2: with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we've got Don Sutherland on the line. G'day, Don, how are you?
4: Hello, Annie. Uh, A happy new year to all of your listeners and yourself.
2: Yeah, it's great to hear from you. Uh, What were you looking at this morning that we want to hear about?
4: Well, I've been reading and thinking a lot about um, uh, all of the things that are connected to the cost of living crisis that so many... Uh, people in the Australian working class are experiencing, and um, thinking about a better way, and more useful way, from their point of view of being able to understand it and do something about it. Um, so I think we might, I think we might talk about the cost of living and how that ought to be treated in better terms as
2: a standard of living issue. All right, that sounds good to um, me.
4: Yeah. Now, firstly. Just a little bit about the context. One reason for that is that, um, apart from all sorts of recommendations from journalists and other mainstream economists, the government itself, the Albanese Labor government, is working out that it has to hone in on and do a lot more than what it has currently been doing about the cost of living. And uh, so it's responding to pressure, but it's working it out for itself That, what it has done so far, uh, which is a lot more than a Liberal National Party government would have done, uh, is still not adequate for the situation that we're in. And it's working, and it's somehow or other dealing with its own stated preference to get wages moving and then having an entirely contradictory policy with the Reserve Bank, which allows the Reserve Bank to run rampant in increasing the cost of living for most Australians. (laughs) That's the first thing. The second thing is that um, both Australia and the rest of the world, uh, the economic story is one of stagnation at the very best. And... Um, in some countries, important trading uh, countries for Australia, there is recession. And so we have this general capitalist system, economic malaise. It's not digging itself out of the shithole of its own making. (laughs) And if I can use such colourful expression to help everyone wake up on Saturday morning. (laughs) This is recognised in part by the annual GabFest, of the richest and the most powerful in Davos in Switzerland, the so-called World Economic Forum, which has been providing advice that has actually... uh, ..makes them the architects of the problems that the rest of humanity and the natural world are experiencing. So we have global heating getting worse. We've got rampant inequality getting worse and in increasingly a decline in confidence in parliamentary democracy and what it offers in terms of dealing, reversing those problems. The Oxfam report came out, as it does about this time of the year, that describes in all countries of the world, both uh, uh, across the globe, what's going on with inequality, and it is rampant. And the uh, the difference between the uh, exponential growth in the wealth and the incomes of the richest and most powerful 1%, 10%, and perhaps 20%, relative to the lowest 10%, 20%, is uh, appalling.
2: Yeah, it's staggering, isn't it?
4: disgusting. Mm. So when we start talking about the cost of living and fixing it from the point of view of the people, the the objective conditions are not, not good. And if we want to do it, we are going to have to confront the powers that be that are comfortable with the current situation. There is going to have to be a confrontation, and that doesn't have to be a convulsive one straight away, but we must confront it and build a movement that may at some point lead to a convulsive confrontation. Now, in Australia, um, the, the cost of living is really a restricted way of talking about the problem. It defines the problem overwhelmingly is one about prices. And in part it is, but only in part. It is much as a problem about how we understand the standard of living and how that is defined not just by our incomes and the prices we pay for all sorts of commodities and services, but it's also the impact of global heating upon that also impacts upon the standard of living, destructively, especially with the consequent weather events that we're experiencing in all parts of the world, but, of course, also in Australia. And then, secondly, it has to do with something like the intensification of misogyny. Uh, That also impacts upon the standard of living as does the intensification of racism. So understanding the standard of living, uh, uh, treating things just as a cost of living issue.
2: Oh, That's a really interesting way of putting it. I mean, uh, everything has been defined as being about economy, uh, as in money and uh, value exchange. But in actual fact, uh, this is... uh, denying the fact that uh, it is really a mechanism or a machine within the whole of social, uh, human social and environmental existence?
4: Well, uh, having a strong income is essential. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things that's gone on in Australian society very much, uh, not exclusively, but very much shaped by governments is, is the predominance of market relations as the vehicle through which the necessities of life, the comforts of life, and then the luxuries of life are obtained through market relations. In other words, more and more, uh, everything that we need, or everything that we want and everything that we desire, has a price and that includes basic services like aged care services and child care services and and um and birth care services to bookend our lives they are all now commodities to be bought uh to be bought from someone else who is producing them by paying wages less than the value of the of of, of the price we pay which means that there's a profit taken from them Yep. So market relations, now the interesting thing about the, one of the interesting things and uh, worrying things about this Labor government is that it embraces market relations, just about all areas of policy. And that's part of its problem, even when it is sincere in solving a cost of living price problem.
8: Mm.
4: Now, in this situation, I think there are two alternatives. One is the the power being harnessed by employer organisations and also to the right of them, the extreme right, most of which is funded by employer organisations and companies like uh, Rhine Arts Company, mm-hmm. Gina Rhine Arts Company. They're not the only one. But uh, last year, they, uh, the Institute of Public Affairs ran a conference, 2,000 people, from the extreme right turned up. Now, they did did that in order to harness their capacity to direct how the Labor government in its remaining years or year uh, handles the cost-of-living problem. We do not quite do the same in the left. We haven't done that for some time. And we desperately need to. The... Uh, The alternative we face otherwise, the second alternative, is the ALP and the Greens squabbling with each other over the character of reforms that the current government might do. And as much as that might be satisfying to the party apparatchiks, that's not much good for most of the working class. That's right. So... I, I think it's time that we did seek to develop a movement of the people that is based upon a program that reflects the standard of living, not just the problem of prices. And I, uh, I, I'm quite, I think I'm very encouraged because um, uh, just before Christmas, well, I only learnt this the other day, and I could be criticised for not knowing about it as but uh, before Christmas, the Socialist Alliance published a 10-point plan that they defined in terms of the cost of living, but which was really about the standard of living. And I think that was a good and constructive contribution, but I don't know what they're doing about it. I don't know what they intend to do about it. I haven't discussed it with them or anything like that. But I think this is something that everyone who is genuinely genuinely as progressive, especially progressive to the left of the ALP and the Greens, including people who are members of those parties who are to see themselves as to the left of their own party, and there are a lot of them, actually. <laughs> uh, this is an opportunity to use this concept this, and even take, I think, a lot of the detail in what the Socialist Alliance proposed in their 10-point plan is actually quite good. I don't agree with all of it, and I think some of it is really about how to express the idea rather than a major point of view difference. So I think that's the starting point. And what I've been doing... Now, that can be obtained if you go to the Social Alliance webpage and um, just um, search 10-point plan, something like that. You should get it. It's pretty easy to read. Alternatively, I've just... um, I've posted a link to it to my blog page at Solidarity Dynamics. But I've also added a commentary. What I've tried to do, not because I want to have the final say, but I want to develop a discussion, because I think it would be for the great benefit if we could develop a discussion about a a program that has developed over time more and more democratically amongst the organisations of the people, unions, Uh, environmental organisations, social welfare activist organisations and so on, and many others, we could develop a coherent, succinct plan, a proposal, set of proposals, with which we can campaign in common about. So in my model, my model takes a lot of the text, just about all of the text, from the Socialist Alliance proposal and organises it into um, determinants of the standard of living heading. So that includes, so firstly, employment, because having a job or not is a major determinant of anyone's standard of living. And Then, the, in no particular sequence, because they all interact, uh, there's also the industrial wage. Uh, you could add on to that by necessity, the social wage, that is taxation and government spending. Uh, There is also profitability and investment. They affect or infect the standard of living. And, of course, in keeping in mind that those, the rich and powerful, their capacity to go well beyond buying the necessities of life and comforts enables them to to buy the extreme luxuries of life as well. And that comes in part out of profits that they take from the exploitation of workers. Uh, You could throw in, I think, also productivity and and then finally interest rates, the price and value of money. So in my blog, I've discussed um, just uh, uh, all of these and sketched out... uh, the, what could be a program that is about the standard of living rather than the cost of living that it goes to a maximum of two pages theoretically it might have to be a bit longer hopefully a bit shorter even and it, it may and, and it gets built over time through various so, options so what
2: you're what you're saying is that you think that people should stop uh, uh, just uh, looking at the cost of living, but look at the standard of living.
4: Well, yeah. and and there's a couple of things go with that, like learning how things get to be the way they are. Why? Why is it that the Australian economy is in a state of stagnation, and still quite possible that it will tip over into recession? Do it, and then. How a program, a people's program, against that is a necessity and leads to confrontation at some point and in some intensity or another, some degree of intensity or another.
2: For some positive outcome for working people
4: and the rest. Whinging and complaining only about the cost of living. We have a proactive and exciting program. That makes sense to a lot of people. So, for example, uh, one of the things I, two of the things I'll throw in. To, well, I'll, well, I'll you think, have to
2: hurry up because we're coming to the yeah. end. So, throw the one throw is, them in.
4: One is on the industrial wage. The annual wage review is a big deal, but we make closing the gap a much higher priority within the camp. Any campaign around the industrial wage. Secondly, in the social wage, we must have closing the gap. And pay attention to what our Aboriginal organisations and leaders are saying about their priorities in that in that area. And then a third one is that we must intensify, raise, improve the quality of support for women and their organisations trying to defeat uh, domestic uh, domestic and uh, workplace violence against women. Uh, all of those are about class solidarity building, and. Uh, I think that's the sort of thing that can happen both in, in conferences and meetings and so on, as well as through smaller discussions and individual thinking. All right. And that's, we, we need to build this discussion over the, over the next six to 12 months and onwards. And there's lots of opportunities to do it with the federal budget the Living Wage, International Women's Day coming up, of course, and, of course, Invasion Day or Survival Day. Uh, All of these are opportunities for us to uh, build the connections between the different elements of the standard of living so that we support each other in common around that program.
2: All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for talking to us this morning.
4: It's lovely to be back and look forward to continuing the discussion
2: about that soon. Mm, Thank you. Bye. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? No, not cost of living, but standard of living. That was uh, uh, Don Sutherland, and uh, I'll give you the links to what he was discussing just then. Very interesting. Uh, Worthwhile uh, pursuing. Uh, That's the end of Solidarity Breakfast this morning. We uh, went down to the uh, web doc, uh, Zim Ship uh, picket. Uh, community picket. It was held last night, 4pm to 10pm. It's ongoing, so uh, they're calling for people to go down there. They want uh, to make it as difficult as possible for Zim, uh, which is a uh, a company that supports uh, Israel's intr- uh, uh, genocide, effectively. Uh, they're very explicit about it. Uh, and that report was from uh, Ines Winters, who's our intrepid re- uh, presenter, uh, on Thursday breakfast here at 3CR. Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth came in and talked to us about the plan for a climate-ready Victoria aiming for the Victorian budget. We talked to Greta Carroll, a uh, great ocean rescue tour, Running along the uh, southwest coast, raising awareness about seismic testing in the Otway Basin. Uh, no way, they say. Uh, Zenim Saban told us about Lukangara, uh, The Law of the Land film, which is going to be available free for your viewing on Survival Day. I'll put the information on the podcast. The, um, you can get it from lukangarafilm.com, password free Australia, that's L U K U N g-a-r-r-a film dot com and uh, we finished with Don Sutherland we're going to go out with a moment of truth Blue King Brown coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents
11: we won't believing when they come you
6: you've
0: been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne Australia